0: Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. Good morning. I'm in Genesis chapter 12 this morning if you want to open your Bible and follow along with me. I'm starting a new series today through the life of the patriarch Abraham. Abraham's story takes up about 15 chapters in the book of Genesis. I'd encourage you to to read over the next week or two, if you have time in your devotional schedule, read uh, Genesis, you kind know, of the last few verses of eleven through twenty-five. Will give you a good good overview of the life of Abraham. His story is so foundational to our understanding of the rest of Scripture. Uh, you can't you can't understand Scripture well without understanding Abraham. Abraham, his his story tells us exactly why. The, the promised land is so important, the land of Canaan, uh, why it's so important in the Old Testament, and it even gives us insight as to why people today who trace their roots back uh, ethnically and religiously to Abraham find that land to be so important. Abraham is, is so important in the history of faith that throughout Scripture, in the Old and New Testament, God is referred to as the God of Abraham. Isn't that remarkable? What would it be like if you were so important that God referred to himself as your God, like the God of Alyssa? I could see that happening. Uh, Wouldn't it be amazing if if we followed God so well and if we lived such an exemplary life and such a strange life because we were on fire for the Lord that people talked about the God of First Naz? I, I think that might be a goal for us. To be, to be people who others define God by saying, the God those people follow after. Abraham is, is that sort of defining defining character for, for God. Abraham is so important in the history of, of the Christian faith, he's mentioned about 75 times in the New Testament. 75 times he he's mentioned that you you might remember John the Baptist at the beginning of the gospels he he warns the religious leaders to uh, that that they are too dependent on the fact that they have descended from Abraham and they are not dependent on enough on the fact that they live like Abraham and had faith like Abraham and so they were they were trusting in their their genealogy, and, and not in their actual trust in God. In the in Paul's letters, the apostle Paul writes on a couple of occasions about Abraham as as this faithful example. For Christian believers to follow. He he is counted righteousness because he believes, and Paul highlights that on a couple of occasions, and that by following Abraham's example, we as believers in Jesus can be counted among the family of God. We can, can be invited into God's family because of that. Abraham appears in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, as the writer of Hebrews is giving these examples of people who lived in response to God and had faith in God, and and by faith, experienced miraculous and amazing things because God was working in them through faith. Now, I'm going to be preaching from the life of Abraham for a little while here, but I'm not going to do a linear series through Abraham. Abraham's life, it's, it's long, and I can't do that. Um, I can't do that to you. <laughs> As people who have to listen to me week after week, I, I just can't. Uh, and and then I, I think telling the story of Abraham week in and week out would would remove some of the details and miss some of the themes that we might otherwise be able to get from Abraham's life. And so, through through the next few weeks, I'm I'm going to be. Taking a deep dive into some specific stories, but stories that relate to other events in the life of Abraham, and try to try to pick out some themes because when when we look at Abraham's life, we, we see so much about who we are and who God is and how we live in relationship with God. And so I'm gonna begin at the beginning can't think of any better place to begin than the beginning. So I'm going to go begin today in in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham receives this this initial call. And today I'm going to summarize some of Abraham's response to that call, and some of God's ongoing call and promises to Abraham. And then I'm going to think about how Abraham's responses uh, didn't really make much effect on how God fulfilled his promise and how God was faithful regardless of of Abraham's faith or lack of faith. So that's kind of what I'm doing today. Are you ready? Okay. We're in Genesis chapter 12 then. I'm just reading the first 3 verses here. Genesis 12 uh, verses 1 through 3. They say the Lord said to Abram, he's Abram right now. He won't be Abraham for about half the story, but I'm just always going to call him Abraham. Just We'll get into that. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So, Abraham's life starts with this incredibly radical call. You, you, you read the very beginning of Genesis chapter 12, and God calls Abraham to leave his father's house, his native people, the people he knows, his land, and it doesn't sound all that radical, to be honest. It, it sounds like, well, many of us have left, many people here have left your parents' house Uh, many of us have left even the nation that we know because we're following, we're following a relationship, or we're following the dream that God placed in our, in our lives, or we're following careers, or, or we're following God's call on us. So it doesn't seem all that radical to us when God calls Abraham out of his, his father's home. Uh, But when, when Abraham heard this, this was a an incredibly radical call because people in Abraham's day, they didn't leave home. They didn't leave the the shelter and covering of their parents' lives and and home and and the home life. Uh, They they lived communally within the the family. People didn't migrate during Abraham's day. And so when when God calls Abraham out of his, his father's home, it sounds like a pretty mundane call to us. But It's this radical thing, and this is really, this is one of the themes, I think, that we pick up immediately from Abraham's life that goes throughout Scripture. Very often, God's call on our lives, it sounds mundane. It sounds easy. It sounds kind of, kind of almost trivial. We use the words of God's calls uh, from Scripture in our lives, and we say, and we just make it sound like it's so simple. God called us to, to love, God called us to love God with all of our hearts, all mind, and strength, and love other people as, as ourselves. And in our culture, people hear that, and they say, well, of course we love. Everyone loves. Don't we all love? Love is so easy. Love is love is uh, the answer to all your questions. Love is everywhere. Anybody can love. That's That's simple. That's mundane. That's kind of silly that God would make that, like, part of the requirement or part of the the call that he places on people's lives, just everybody loves, right? It's silly to make that a call. And then, and then scripture doesn't let us see love through the lens of our cultural eyes. (laughs) We, we start to read about this call to love, and then Jesus is our example of how we are to love. And when Jesus is our example of how we are to love, he, he takes the, the, the place of the lowest servant at the table, and he washes the feet of his disciples. And then he is hated, and he is outcast, and and he dies for the very people who hate him because he loves them. The, the call of Scripture, these mundane calls of Scripture that seem so so simple, so very often turn out to be so much more Than what they what meets the eye, so Abraham is called out of his father's home, and it seems like uh, not 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 too big a deal, you know. He's just going to travel a little ways. He's not going to go any further than he can go on foot, right? I mean, that's the way he's going to travel. But when we think about the culture that Abraham lived in, we understand migration didn't happen. There were really about two reasons why a person would travel during Abraham's day. They, they would either travel for trade or they would travel for war. And trade happened in caravans. There was strength in numbers, right? Because trade caravans were, were vulnerable to, to people who would, would want to take what was being, what was valuable enough to carry to another land to trade. And so trade caravans were it wasn't like a really safe thing, and it was that would be strength in numbers. Abraham is traveling with his family and some servants. Or the other reason would have been war. Armies were not welcome when they traveled outside of their homeland in in the ancient Near East. And and so Abraham, traveling with his wife and his servants and his possessions, they they would have been outside any understood reason that people would have traveled in his day. People would have looked very suspiciously at Abraham. They would have wondered, they would have asked, like, what, why had he been kicked out of wherever he came from? Or, or what is he running from? Or what's he want from us? And while it may have been a strange and dangerous call that Abraham Abraham received to leave his father's home, it's a call that comes with a lot of promises too, right? He'll be a great nation. He'll be famous. Other people will be blessed or cursed by God based on how they treat Abraham. That's a pretty incredible promise. And we see many of those promises fulfilled in Abraham's life. Uh, But it's not a straight line. There's no straight line from God's promise to the fulfillment of those promises in Genesis. And, and we get to the, Abraham, the end of Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 25, and, and we have to wonder, what, what became of some of those promises? Because Abraham is going to live his entire life as a stranger. He, he, is, he is never going to fully settle down. He, he will be a wanderer and the stories of Abraham's life, they mention places, and there are some repeated places throughout Abraham's life, but there's never home. I- Abraham buys one piece of property in his life, and it's to bury his wife Sarah. Otherwise, he's, he's a shepherd. He travels where, the, where there's green grass for his flocks. He never moves out of a tent. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself though. I want to go back. I want to I want to consider Abraham's travels. I have a map here to show you a little bit about Abraham's travels. I hope I have I have a map. Look at that. I have a map here. So Abraham's travels actually begin in Genesis chapter 11 before he left his father's home. And he, his father, whose name is Terah, heard the call of God to leave Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans here in the bottom bottom right-hand corner. And uh, so Abraham's father Terah heard the call, took all of all of his family and they moved to Haran. There in the in the top. This this green green area around is is green because it's not desert. It's known as the Fertile Crescent. And in in the history of of the ancient Near East, that Fertile Crescent was was the connecting place between Egypt, where there was a big established civilization, and Babylon, where there was big established civilization for, for centuries, millennia. Those two big established civilizations, they traveled to meet each other for trade or for war along the Fertile Crescent. And they would, when Egypt would get strong, they would go and beat up on the Babylonians. And when the people in the Babylonian area would get strong, they would go and beat up on the Egyptians. And and those two empires would, would essentially control much of the Fertile Crescent for, like, most of human history, <laughs> uh, up until, up until, like, the rise of the Greek Empire. Uh, you have Syria before them that's kind of coming from Babylon. So, I mean, the, for for centuries, millennia, that fertile crescent has just been a highway, a highway for two powerful nations. And so God called Terah and his family out of Ur of the Chaldeans, out of this sort of cradle of civilization area among, along the, the Euphrates River right there. And, and he called them up into Haran. And Abraham was there in Haran when he heard this call that we read at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. And and Abraham responded to to that call by traveling basically in a straight line south. He travels south and and he goes through Damascus and then into Canaan. And and, uh, he does it really quick. And it seems like man, he's just like going so fast because by the end of Genesis chapter twelve, he heard the call at the very beginning of Genesis twelve at the end of Genesis chapter twelve, Abraham has gone all the way through canaan and he and he ended up all the way in Egypt. He went to Egypt it says there was a famine in Canaan, and so they they carried on, and they continued south in in uh in Egypt. Abraham makes the really poor decision of telling or of asking his wife Sarah to say that she's his sister instead of his wife. And it's one of these incredible stories where someone does something that's very faithless and disobedient and wrong, like we all kind of know that's wrong, and then they end up smelling like roses. And the Egyptians give Abraham all kinds of stuff to just go. And then Abraham, and he took his son, or his, uh, his nephew, Lot, with him. Uh, Abraham and Lot and their families, they move up into the desert just south of Canaan. And they kind of just hang out in the desert just south of Canaan. It's called the Negev. It's referred to as the Negev. And they, they live there in the Negev for, for a while, and they become so rich and so prosperous that they need to move out of the Negev and find more land and they have to separate because Lot's people, servants, and flocks have grown so large, and Abraham's people, flocks, and servants have grown so large that they need, they need more land. So they separate and they go into the promised land. In the first few chapters of Abraham's story, we find him becoming very rich, very, very wealthy, very powerful, kind of almost like a little king. And everywhere he goes is just sort of his, his own little kingdom. But he has no children to give it to when he dies. And he laments that fact. And so in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and he says, Hey, you're, not only are you going to have an heir, you're going to have so many children, you're going to have so many heirs, they will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And God makes a solemn promise to, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 called a covenant. And in that solemn promise, in that covenant, God symbolically takes on all of the responsibility for the covenant. God says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it for you. You don't have to to worry about this, Abraham. I'm going to take care of you. Well, Abraham does worry. And after receiving this incredible promise that God is going to give him a son he decides he's going to take matters into his own hands and so in Genesis chapter 16 he he takes his servants uh or his wife's servant uh and and has a a child with uh her Hagar and the child's name is Ishmael in chapter 17 god revisits abraham Ishmael is already 13 years old at that point god says you kind of took things into your own hands. You kind of jumped the gun. I really did mean that I was going to give you a son with your wife Sarah. And and so he uh, he believes it. It's in chapter seventeen then when God changes Abraham's name to Abram or from Abram to Abraham, and he gives Sarah the name Sarah. She had been Sarai up to this point in the story. And and God gives this this promise that Sarah will will give. Abraham's son through Sarah when he's 99 years old seems kind of impossible, but God's already promised I'm going to take care of this. In chapter 18, three mysterious visitors come and repeat the promise that Sarah will have a child. Sarah laughs at the promise. I'm curious about why Sarah laughs exactly, but because she laughs, they say the child's name is going to be Isaac, which means laughter. And then uh, for some strange reason, Genesis uh, 18 and 19 are just kind of eye-opening chapters, and like, not everything in scripture is great devotional, inspiring reading. Uh, These are a couple of chapters where, you know, like, it's, these are some interesting stories. For some reason, Abraham is willing, is able to negotiate with these three mysterious strangers who have shown up at, at his tent and and he negotiates with them for the safety of Sodom and Gomorrah, this area that his nephew Lot has has settled in. And then some crazy stories about Lot and his family in Genesis nineteen. In Genesis twenty, we get back to Abraham, and and he he repeats the mistake he repeated or he he committed in Egypt. His powerful neighbor uh, Abimelech wants to wants to know some more information about Sarah, and he says, oh yeah, she's my sister. And uh, again, disaster should ensue, but he comes out smelling like roses. And then in Genesis 20, at the end of the chapter, Isaac is born. Uh, Abraham is a hundred years old. Shortly thereafter, God instructs Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, as in kill him on an altar. It's recorded in, in Genesis 22. In Genesis 23, Sarah dies. And, and the story of Genesis 23 is the story of Abraham buying the only piece of land that he will ever own in Canaan. And before Abraham dies, he secures a wife for Isaac. Uh, he wants a wife from back home, back from Haran there. But he, he refuses to let Isaac go to look for his own wife. He doesn't want his own son to go back to the place that God had called him out of. So he sent a servant to to find a wife for for Isaac. And then Abraham himself finds another wife, and he has more kids uh, after he's been a widower. And according to Genesis 25, Abraham died at the ripe old age of 175 years old. It's an interesting life. (laughs) It's an interesting life. When I summarize his life so quickly, it's, uh, we miss a lot of details. <laughs> we miss a lot of details. Uh, and so over the next few weeks, I'll dig into to some of the details and look uh, at what Abraham's life reveals. Abraham's life is here in the book of Genesis, I think for a handful of reasons. Abraham, the, the author of, Genes- of the book of Genesis, wants to teach us about God. And Abraham's life teaches us so much about the character and nature of God. And over and over again, we are going to be understanding things about God, God himself, the God of Abraham, because we understand Abraham's story and because we look at how God interacted with Abraham. But the author of Genesis also wants us to to understand about who we are, about humanity and, and how we are wired and so we're going to learn a lot about how we are wired, what it is to be human, what it is to, to live on this earth, but not just like God himself and humanity for, for who we are, but the, the author wants us to understand how we live in relationship, God and us, how God interacts with, with people and, and how we live in relationship with God, faithfully and, and not, And what it means for us to to be people who who desire God in our lives. And so in in Abraham's story, we're going to see this repeated repeated pattern of of God's promises and God's faithfulness. And we see these human oscillations between between doubt and and belief. Between fidelity and, and disobedience. And we also see the nature of of God's promises and fulfillment. We, We see how Abraham isn't able to force God's hand toward making God's promises come true. It doesn't matter how obedient he is. And Abraham is a pretty good guy. He has these foibles, he has these problems. But by and large, Abraham is lifted up like, you know, God is the God of Abraham because Abraham is so faithful. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wants to find the perfect illustration of what it is to be a believer, a righteous person. And the perfect example that the Apostle Paul finds is Abraham. In Genesis 15, that key verse, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of it. When, when Abraham believes he, he is in the desert with no children and an aging wife years after he has heard this promise. And he believes it. He believes that God has come again and, and said, I am going to do all these things that I promised for you so many years ago when you were living in your father's house. And without seeing much evidence at that point, Abraham says, I'll believe that. I think God is is able to do that. And and that that belief makes Abraham, you know, our example for, for so, till to this day. And he would still have to wait. You know, even as this incredible example As this person that we say, you know, millennia later, we say, faith like Abraham. Abraham didn't receive what he was promised right away just because he was that that great example. He still had to wait years before the promise of Isaac was fulfilled. But we also see in Abraham's story how Abraham, in his disobedience, in his lack of faith, he doesn't cause God to turn a blind eye. While Abraham, his, his belief in the promise of God is lifted up as this exemplary belief, he is righteous because he believes, Abraham immediately takes matters into his own hands and has a child with Hagar instead of his wife Sarah. God, God doesn't, doesn't wash his hands of the promise. And in fact, over a decade later, even after this disobedience, God provides Isaac when Abraham faith, faithlessly denies being married to Sarah, God doesn't say well if he, if that's the way he's going to act i'm not this thing's over I'm going to pull the plug on that experiment god God miraculously in the, in the very moments when Abraham seems to be at his worst, God miraculously uses those times to to fulfill his promise, a blessing to to Abraham. God is is good to Abraham, even in the midst of his really dumb choices. The book of Genesis ends... with the story of joseph Uh, you, you might be familiar with joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of him and and god does that incredible thing of sending joseph into egypt to become this ruler and and then at the very end of joseph's life he summarizes in genesis chapter 50 verse 20 you intended to harm me but god intended it all for good I think that's a that summary statement from joseph's life could be could be a summary statement of all of Genesis in the book of Genesis. we see God create and provide God promises he protects, and what do people do throughout the the book of Genesis? We kind of make a mess of things, but God never turns a blind eye toward humanity God never never gives people the cold shoulder. And on many occasions, God's good gifts take much longer than people want. But even still, God comes through. This promise that, that begins Abraham's life, this call to make Abraham into a, a mighty nation, you would think that that call would come with some land abraham abraham dies the only land that he owns when he dies is a burial plot for his wife his his children don't don't own any land his grandchildren they don't they don't see this come to fruition either they've heard the promise they live in the land but it's never theirs they continue to be wanderers they continue to be driven about by threats and by wars and so you would imagine that abraham and his descendants thought that that promise of god that was pretty slow in coming to fruition it's not until his ancestors go into slavery for 400 years and return to the promised land that they begin to settle this land that God had given to them. But Abraham didn't disrupt God's promise in in the moments that he lacked faith. It was that God's promise was was a long-range vision. Sometimes as believers, I, I think we begin to worry that our disbelief or our disobedience or even our outright rebellion can put us on a track where we will never experience God's blessings. We think we've blown it. We are are outside of God's good graces and we can never get back. We think the hardship we're going through, it's direct punishment for the bad things we've done. God lets us experience the the consequences of our sin. God, God lets us. God lets us experience the consequences of other people's sin too. It's not just ours that we experience hardship and heartbreak over. God doesn't protect us from those bad things that that come our way. But God has also promised us that our own bad decisions will never separate us from His love. I'm I'm reminded of this promise at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, that all the families of earth will be blessed through the descendants of Abraham. We believe that God fulfilled that promise in Jesus. That was like a 1,500-year lag time from promise to fulfillment. God's, God's timeline isn't our timeline. It it can be hard for us to to hear that and to process that. As as we deal as a body with people going through severe illness, it's it's hard and frustrating at times. But God God doesn't answer our wishes immediately. But what we see in Abraham's story and what we see in the scope of Scripture as God fulfills his promises to Abraham is that there is, that God's presence is walking with us throughout. In the midst of not receiving what God has promised, Abraham continues in this life communing with God. Jesus, as the fulfillment of, of some of these promises that were given to Abraham, gives us access to God's presence and a relationship with God like, like was never possible without Jesus. Jesus promised guidance for us throughout this life. And Jesus is willing to forgive us in our moments of faithlessness disobedience.